Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vision of Zion. This is episode number 22. And I, I keep feeling like every time I want to break into a bigger discussion about Zion in the last days, I'm continually laying a foundation about what I'm going to say in the near future. And this is another foundational podcast. And the thing I was impressed to talk about today was witnesses. So I have been gathering information for decades now that I'm going to share in these podcasts. And I want to start by telling you a little story that you can read, actually. It's a great book. You should have a copy of it for, for yourself, for your grandkids, your kids. It's a book called Frederick, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, written by a man named Leo Leone. I read this book decades ago. It's about 44 pages intended for kids. It's about a group of field mice. I'm going to read from the website on Amazon so that you will understand what the book is about. It is a very concise, I think you'll really love it. So here's what it says about the book. It says, winter is coming and all the mice are gathering food, except for Frederick. But when the days grow short and the snow begins to fall, it's Frederick's stories that warm the hearts and spirits of his fellow field mice. So the story is the, the, the mice are working and he's just sitting around absorbing the sun, taking it all in, and then when they're stuck in their hole for the winter, he warms everybody's hearts with what he gathered during the, the rest of the year while they were working. So sometimes I feel like Frederick, I, I'm this little mouse who's been squirreling away kernels of information and so excited to share these things with you. So for many years in my church, we have the opportunity to serve in different positions. One of the positions I've been able to do for many years has been to be a teacher. And I remember, again, we're going back decades, I can't believe it, but 30 years ago, easily, I was talking to a class. And what I like to do is I like to ask questions and I like to kind of moderate the discussion. I come in prepared and then I ask a lot of questions and it seems like the lesson kind of teaches itself. If I can come up with really good questions that people want to think about and are thought provoking, then I get a lot of participation. So anyway, one gentleman came up to me and said that what I was doing is I wasn't really a teacher, I was a facilitator. And I've liked that description and I think that uh, our church in recent years has been encouraging teachers to be facilitators and not lecturers. Well, with this podcast, obviously, I just me talking for now. I'm going to have people on here shortly. But it is kind of a lecture form. But what I really am trying to do is to facilitate your learning. Now, one of the things that I'm going to do moving forward is I'm going to be a little more broad in my approach I've been using the Bible. I'm going to, I've been mentioning that I'm going to refer to scriptures or books considered books of scripture by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which includes the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Prograde Price. But I'm also going to draw from other books and other experiences. 
I have read near-death experiences since, well, this has been about going about 40 years. The first time I came across one kind of blew me away that people had crossed over. And now it's a very common topic of discussion. There's even a group that meets together and talks about near-death experiences. I think it's called IANDS. They've got these annual conferences or conventions that come up where they discuss these things. So it's not a hidden thing. There was a seminal book, I believe this is his first one, by Dr. Raymond Moody Jr., who wrote a book called Life After Life. He was kind of the first one that I know of that broke through and provided, let's say, anecdotal, but scientific analysis of people who have died and come back to tell their story. So I am going to be using some of those. What I want to talk about more broadly is I want to bring witnesses to you or want to talk about concepts that have multiple witnesses. I'm not going to go just to one source. I'm going to go to multiple sources. So the Bible is a collection of various sources that have been bound into one book. You have the Old Testament and the Old Testament tradition of of the Jews. And then you have the New Testament, which are additional witnesses to many of the same concepts that are in the Old Testament. The Jews don't necessarily believe in the Christian sources. The Christians do believe in the Old Testament sources, but they also speak to some of the same things. The things that Daniel saw, the book of Revelation, they're very interconnected and related, and so are the other books of Scripture. We have multiple witnesses about events that are going to occur in the latter days. And they weave together in an amazing fashion. In the Jewish law, to put somebody to death, you had to have two or three witnesses. And that was in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, I believe. But then Jesus also talked about it in Matthew 18, that you can establish the truth of things through two or three witnesses. And this concept is carried forward. So when I talk about a concept... I'm going to make sure that I've got at least two sources completely independent of one another so that I can feel comfortable that I'm not just talking from one stray outlier. For example, when I talk about the Book of Mormon, there's going to be verses in the Book of Mormon that are going to highlight and explain the Book of, let's say, Book of Revelation. So in the Book of 1 Nephi, which is at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, Nephi is taken on the same tour in the heavens that John the Revelator had. And he gets to a point when he's describing it that he says, the Spirit told me I can't talk anymore about this because John is the one who is supposed to talk about this. He's the only one appointed to talk about this, and I'm being told to remain silent. I'm being constrained to not say anything further. But before that, we read his account of the last days. And boy, when you read, you know, the book of Revelation and the book of Mormon, 1 Nephi, there is an amazing coalescence that occurs. And then you have the Doctrine and Covenants when Joseph Smith is receiving, purportedly receiving revelations that are describing the last days as well. For example, section 45 talks about the last days. So we have layers upon layers upon layers of witnesses to what is going to happen in the last days.
And because I want to facilitate that, I'm going to give you the references from the scriptures and from, and I'm going to take these books of near-death experiences when I can find, again, common themes. I'm going to present them for your consideration. And I want you to buy these books. You know, if you want to research it yourself, it's an exciting thing. Now, one of the people I talk about a lot, as you've noticed, is Hugh Nibley or Hugh Winder Nibley. He's one of the greatest intellects, in, the, in my opinion, in the history of the world. And I, and I think he's one of the greatest intellects in our church. And does that mean he got a perfect understanding of everything? No. No, I can't say that. But I've got his 16-volume set. There's a collected works series that they've printed with all of his talks. And they've cleaned up his footnotes and gone through and made sure things are accurate. And it is uh, an opus that is mind-boggling. And that's just the 16 books that he wrote. Then there's two books about his life. Sergeant Nibley, Ph.D., when he went to work for the government and serve in the war, World War II, his insights there are amazing. And then there's a book called Consecrated Life. I believe it's by Boyd Peterson, who I believe is his son-in-law. So I've read those books and dipped into those books quite a bit. And then there's, I've got these videotapes when he did Book of Mormon lectures. And then I've, so I've got those sets of tapes. I can't, haven't gone through all of those, I have to admit. But I also have the transcript of those, which I have dipped into a bit. So he has brought stuff together from really amazing sources, broken new ground in so many areas. I could go on and on about Brother Nibley's abilities and how he put them to work for the Lord, frankly. He taught at Brigham Young University when I was there. I was a part of a committee that invited him to speak at a what was called the Spheres of Influence conference, and I attended a lecture after I finished school at BYU. So listening to Hugh Nibley is like listening to a podcast at two times or two and a half times speed, okay? He rattles it off so fast you have to go back and and slow it down and, and try and get everything that he says. He just packs it in. Now, when he did a series of lectures in the 1950s called uh, The World and the Prophets, which were these, I think, weekly presentations on KSL that he gave from the tabernacle at Temple Square. I believe that was where they were done, but they're, man, amazing, amazing, and they're on audio. So he was much slower when he was younger. He kind of sped up as he got older and a little harder to understand. But people have been very careful to listen to him, and, and we're lucky to have so much of what he has said. So... We're going to look at his stuff. So he, he also had a near-death experience. That's what I'm getting to here. Not only was he a scholar, but in the movie Faith of an Observer, his wife described a near-death experience that he had. He was, it was after the market crash of 1929. He was feeling discouraged. He was having his doubts. He was given a blessing, I think, by Matthew Cowley, who was an apostle. And shortly after the blessing that he would know of the reality of God, he, his wife says, I think he swallowed his tongue, and he had a near-death experience, and he talks about how when he went into the other side, that he began to 
have the ability to work out things he couldn't work out as a, as a mortal. Like he said, he started trying to solve math problems. I know that more happened than that because I know from what I have felt and I know from one of the, his children speaking about it that he likely saw the face of the Savior, but he doesn't talk about that. He's very you know quiet about what he saw. But he knew, and he said his testimony came back with a bang. And this is all before he entered the war and served as a sergeant, avoiding all kinds of interesting death experiences and the things that he learned, which were very sad about war and about what moves people to go to war. It's, it's chilling. And in the book, Sergeant Nibley, PhD, there's more talk about that. Not, not a topic for today's discussion. There's people who read the Book of Mormon every day like people read the Bible. And I've read both. And there's, I know all the criticisms, trust me. But I don't have time, and I'm not an apologist. Okay, I'm just trying to tell you it is another witness of the last days. Big time. In my extras, I'm going to get into it more. But I have to refer to it because it is a great commentary, even if the only thing you think it is, is Joseph Smith giving his opinion as a commentary. Fine, we've got to look at this book. But I do want to give you a little bit of the background about the book and about Joseph Smith, just real quickly. Joseph Smith claimed when he was 14 years old, he was praying to know which church he should join. He had a vision. God the Father appeared to him along with Jesus Christ and told him, don't join any church. This is 1820. But when he was 17, he prayed to Noah standing before the Lord because he hadn't been perfect since that first encounter. And this is when an angel, whose name is Moroni, appears and tells him there's this book buried, among other things. There's a book buried near his house on a hill that was known as Camorra and that he was to retrieve it. So he goes to try and retrieve it after having this angelic visit, I think a total of four times during the night and the morning. And he finally went to the location and found these plates that were buried under a, a, in a stone box with a, with a rock cover on it that looked like a rock. He pried it open. There were these plates and the means to interpret or to help him interpret the book. He wasn't ready for it. He had to wait four years and go back and receive instruction every year about this book. When he finally got the book, people tried to take it from him. It was a harrowing story of trying to finish this translation. He was able to get people to be his scribe. I think his wife was one, and the main one was Oliver Cowdery, who, when he heard about Joseph's story, came and said, I want to help out, and the Lord gave him permission. And the scholars that I have read said that the total time it took to write this several hundred page book was about 63 days. And Joseph Smith was told, you don't have to bear this burden alone. I'm going to let you show this book to three people. And these three people were three men, David Whitmer, Martin Harris, and Oliver Cowdery. And there was actually two experiences when he showed the book because the first time he tried to show it to all three at once, Martin Harris had to withdraw. So it was, it was Smith, Harris, and Cowdery. And an angel appeared with the book and said, this book is 
It was translated by the gift and power of God. And later, Joseph had the same experience with Martin Harris, the two of them, and then the three of them wrote a, wrote a testimony. Three witnesses. And all three of those men eventually left the church. And two of those men, Cowdery and Harris, returned to the church fold a few years later. Whitmer, Dave Whitmer did not return to the church. But he was interviewed for decades, until the 1880s. Because this was around 1828, 1829. 1830, the book is published. I've got a book of called The David Whitmer Interviews. I think Lyndon Cook put it together. Tons of interviews, people going back to see him, interview him. He made statements for the newspaper and never, ever denied that an angel came and showed him this book. So the Book of Mormon has three witnesses who saw the book presented by an angel and then eight more witnesses were shown the physical book, just the plates. And they wrote their testimony. And yes, some of them are family members of his. Some of them are close friends. And some of them are all from the same family, not his family. But nevertheless, there were eight men who put their name to it and said, I saw these plates. So we have 11 witnesses. And the Book of Mormon said, Joseph, you're not going to have to bear this. Whoever's going to translate this book, you're not going to bear this burden alone. So you can criticize and people have attacked what the witnesses said, especially Martin Harris because of one thing he said one time. But the bottom line is you've got 11 men who said they saw in the book. So it's a good, it, it, it's worth your consideration, okay? And I'm going to quote from that book. And then Joseph Smith, if he was a prophet, he developed this prophetic gift to hear the word of the Lord and to write it down. And they, these verses correlate extremely well with the Bible and provide clarification for the Bible. Now, the other thing Joseph did after he finished the Book of Mormon is he was commanded by the Lord to go through the Bible because there were some errors made. I'm going to switch gears now. There's been several people who have seen the last days who I rely upon because there are intersecting accounts and these people don't know each other so the first one which was in my other extra episode is Alfred Douglas Young he sees the last days we're going to talk more about what he saw about Zion I read this I got this book it's called the moon shall turn to blood by Anthony E Larson so in the early 80s, I came across this book. And in the appendix, Appendix C, it has a thing called The Night Vision of Charles D. Evans. Now, this was published in a publication of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1894. It's an article that appeared in The Contributor, Volume 15, Number 20, which was a forerunner of the Improvement Era. From Adam on down, the Lord has been communicating his future, his will, and his end game to us. So we have so many sources, and I'm going to try and weave them together for you based on, you know, a lot of years of extreme interest and trying to get a clear picture of what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, for many of you, 
it's not what it's not always what you think it is. Okay, I don't know what level you're at if you've never been exposed to this material, if you've dabbled in it or read all these sources. But when you combine the Old Testament with the New Testament, with the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, and in addition to that, the comments of people who have the spirit of prophecy, and you combine to those the near-death experiences of people who have been shown the last days. When you combine all this together, it is an amazing body of work. So I hope that you'll be open to truth as presented by multiple witnesses. And I'll try and honor that by referring to two or more for each of the points that I'm going to raise. The best witness of all, however, is the one that's inside of you. And there's two parts to that. One is your own reasoning, your own critical thinking. And then there's the Holy Ghost. I wanted to talk real quickly about the Holy Ghost because... Things just come down to the Holy Ghost and to the Spirit and to a testimony of, of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. John 14, 26. Jesus talking. But the Comforter, I love the fact that the Holy Ghost is called the word Comforter. Synonymous in a way. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Not maybe, He will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, it's such a profound verse. Let me dive into this verse a little bit. The Holy Ghost provides comfort. Even when we're being persecuted, yes. Even when the worst circumstances can occur. Remember what Jesus said? Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Right before he offers the intercessory prayer, and suffers in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then is nailed to a cross, he's saying, be of good cheer and, and peace. I mean, there's this juxtaposition between suffering for God's word and the happiness we feel for doing it, the intrinsic happiness. Also, the Father is going to send the Holy Ghost. What's, going to, what's he going to teach us? Everything we need to know we can learn from the Holy Ghost. Prophets... And these inspired writings of people are nothing more than people writing down what the Spirit taught them and their perspective of understanding. And bring things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said. And so Jesus is saying, you're not going to remember everything I'm saying to you now. okay? But when I'm gone, the Spirit is going to remind you about what I've said and taught. Now John chapter 15 has another interesting these are easy to remember because it's John 14, 26 and John 15, 26. So, but they both deal with the Holy Ghost. And then here's what John 15, 26 says. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning." These things do affect our decision-making processes, right? How do we spend our time? What are we going to do? You know, 
Do I need to have a food storage? Do I need to prepare for tribulations? Do I need to live a certain place? Do I need to support a certain cause? Do I need to discern the news better? You know, all these things, prophecy can help you and help guide you what to do. I have people who believe that the tribulations are almost over. Most people believe if they read that there's a period of tribulation followed by the second coming. And the tribulation is maybe seven years. I'm going to talk about all of that stuff. It's interesting, intriguing stuff. Do I think that the tribulations have started yet? That's an interesting question. But I can say this, for those who think we're through it, no way. You need to read more. Because what is laid out, as I mentioned also, there are layers to these scriptures. The book of Revelation, there's a group of people called the Preterists who said it's already been done. Everything that's in there has been done before. Sure. Okay. You can point to Nero and the 666 and some other things. I'm not trying to downplay what they're saying. I'm just trying to briefly say, yes, you can look at that book and say these things occurred right after the death of Jesus Christ, and John is talking about events of his time. But at the same time, it's not only that period, it's also about the future and things that did not happen. Okay, We don't have a third of everything dying at that time. We don't have the Revelation 12 fully unfolding. We don't have Christ coming from heaven in Revelation 19. There's a lot of things that that book talks about that are yet to occur and so there are layers to this it's my privilege to be able to discuss these things with you and like frederick share a few kernels that will hopefully warm your heart and give you great hope for the future thank you for listening